Hey there, you're listening to Fun Times in Flushing, a positive podcast about the New York Mets. I am Michael Smith here to talk Mets baseball with you. The Mets returned home after a sweep in Chicago to get their delayed first look at the Washington Nationals. An awful game was bookended by shutouts, so let's get to it. That theme comes from Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your podcast themes at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. If you want to find any links discussed in today's show or to learn more about the show, go to funandflushing.com slash 28. That's funandflushing.com slash the numbers 28. So the Mets welcomed the Washington Nationals into City Field this week, this weekend, I should say. And game one on Friday night featured Jacob DeGrom on an extra day's rest. Pitching like Jacob deGrom with an extra day's rest. (laughs) Jacob deGrom was unbelievable on Friday night. Even better than he was in his past two starts. Complete game. Two hits. 15 strikeouts, a career high, including once again, six in a row. Just unbelievable. Masterful. He also went two for two with an RBI double. He scored both times, once on a Brandon Nimmo single, again on a Nimmo homer. Just unbelievable. MVP chance in April for a starting pitcher. And it got me thinking, what's it going to take? You know, I know actually ESPN's Buster Olney predicted Jacob DeGrom to be the National League MVP this season. And I'm trying to think of what it's going to take for him to be the MVP. I do think the Mets have to go to the playoffs. And I think he has to get at least 15 wins. If he can do those two things. I really think he's got a, a serious chance to win the National League MVP. He currently sits with two RBIs on the season for himself and only having given up one earned run. He's not going to keep that ratio. <laughs> he's not. But if he keeps getting hits and he keeps helping himself out, in particular, he's got a real good chance to make this happen. And I know this was some some fans at, at the ballpark having some fun and chanting MVP for everybody's favorite player, but there's a, there's a case to be made. Should DeGrom keep pitching the way that he's pitched for three plus years now? And I'm looking right now at the stats. 2011 American League MVP voting Justin Verlander beats out Jacoby Ellsbury for that year's MVP award. Verlander went 24-5 and five with a 2.40 ERA. DeGrom's not going to go 24-5. and five. He could, he could pitch well enough to go 24 and 5, but I just really don't see that happening. I think you're asking a lot for a team that's never really supported him in the past to show up and support him for 24 victories. But if he goes out and gets 15 plus, even, you know, obviously we'd prefer he get closer to 20, but if he goes out and gets 15 plus and he keeps any semblance of this 0.31 ERA, which is going to go up at some point, but if he can keep it low, lower than that 2.40, he's got a serious chance. Now here are Ellsbury's numbers. Ellsbury played in 158 games. He had 212 hits, good for a 321 batting average. He had a 376 on base percentage. He had 32 homers and 105 RBIs. 
overall fairly pedestrian numbers as far as MVPs go. You think MVP, you're thinking 35 plus, 110 plus, 115 plus RBIs. His OPS was 928. Now, Jose Batista finished in third. He had a 1.056 OPS. That's pretty impressive, but he only had 103 RBIs. So there wasn't any standout offensive performers that went out and grabbed that MVP award. Again, those are great numbers, and those guys deserve to be in the race for MVP, but neither one of them went out and fully took hold of that MVP award, and that's how it fell in the hands of Justin Verlander. I think Jacob deGrom has that ability to go out and take it, and I hope that we get to see that happen because that would just be a ton of fun if this guy could win the Mets their first MVP award. They've never had one. And I think it'd be pretty cool to see Jacob DeGrom do it and win his third Cy Young this season. As for the rest of the team, they won 6-0 behind DeGrom. As mentioned, Nimmo had a homer contributing to a 4-RBI night, his first home run of the season. Dom Smith had an RBI single. He's been brutal with runners in scoring position, so that was nice. And DeGrom had DeGrom drove in the other run. Just a wonderful night at City Field. Just watching and listening to this game, it was just really cool to see City Field that amped up, that behind the drum, that behind the team. It was a lot of fun to watch, and I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to getting back out to City Field at some point this season. Game two was ugly. Game two was not pretty. It was not uh, befitting of following up on that performance on Friday night. Marcus Stroman only made it through four, though he could have been helped by better defense. And you know, that's kind of the danger of pitching to contact. When you have a less than stellar defense, sometimes they're not there for you. And they've been there. They've held up in his first three starts, which is why he's been so good. But they just weren't there in this one. Uh, Conforto did hit his first home run of the year, but Steven Tarpley making his Mets debut was not good. And that led to the Mets falling 7-1. to one. Again, there was I think there was only one error in this game. I think it was Michael Conforto on the first batter of the game. But again, it was just one of those funny defensive games. They just were misplaying balls, and they, they didn't necessarily count as errors. But, you know, a better defensive team maybe gets Marcus Stroman out of those innings, gets him through five, gets him through six, and keeps the team competitive in the game. That said, you know who hasn't been awful? <laughs> is Robert Dizelman. After not pitching at all in the first two weeks of the season, he's been a workhorse this past week. He got big outs in Colorado. He got a big out to keep the Mets in the game early in game one in Chicago. Then in this one, three no-hit innings, allowing one base runner on a walk, but really stretched things out. Bridge to Jacob Barnes and Jerry's Familia, who followed suit, allowing only one base runner between them. And... Got the Mets out of there without a ton of damage to the bullpen after Stroman only went four, and they didn't get much length from starting pitching in Chicago in any of the three games. So even with the Grom taking the full load and, and going nine innings on Friday night, the Mets still needed somebody to keep things intact on Saturday, and Robert Gazelman did a really good job of that. But unfortunately, the damage was already done, and the Mets lost seven to one. And then the finale on Sunday. You know, it was a rough week. It was an interesting week, really. So you, you win the series in Colorado, and then you go, you walk into Chicago, you're feeling good, and you just get swept right out of there. One game was never even 
really all that competitive. And all the good vibes that were coming out of sweeping the Phillies, winning the series in Colorado, all that's washed away. Jacob deGrom comes out, hurls the shutout, and you're feeling good again. And then Marcus Stroman, who's been fantastic in his first three starts, has a clunker, and everything's terrible again. <laughs> and the Mets needed to win this series. And they came out with a bit of a different lineup. They moved Alonzo to second. They dropped Lindor to three. They sat Dom and Jeff McNeil, and they put J.D. Davis in the cleanup spot because of his really excellent numbers against Patrick Corbin, and that paid off. J.D. came into this one hitting 269 in 26 at-bats off of Corbin, but three of those seven hits left the ballpark. Another three went for doubles, so he's hit him hard in his career and appears to be a good matchup for J.D., and that proved true in the first inning when J.D. hit a two-run homer to give the Mets an early lead. J.D. went three for four on Sunday, proving that he is probably the hottest hitter the Mets have right now. As good as Brandon Nimmo has been at getting on base, J.D. is getting the job done. He drove in a big run on Thursday night in Chicago. He got the big run here, the big two-run homer here in the first inning against Washington, and he has just been, he's been their best hitter. Even missing the time that he missed, he jumped right back in the lineup and he's hit. And it's awful because (laughs) he's made so many errors. He actually made a nice play in this game, and I don't think he's as bad as people have kind of piled on in the past week and think that he might be, but he's got to prove it. He's got to be better because if he keeps hitting like this, you got to keep him in the lineup. But the second he hits the slightest bit of a downturn, if he keeps making errors left and right, you got to take him out of the lineup. So he even hitting this well, he's got a short leash. So he's got to prove that he can field the ball better because I, I don't, I don't see any reason to start him against right-handed pitching. He's got the pop, but you are making hit right-handed pitching, you know, no problem. And he's got the love. So, you know, I'd be curious to see now how they play it. I would have, JD played on Saturday too. I would have played Yorme that day. Mark Stroman, ground ball pitcher, right-handed pitcher on the mound, but the Mets opted for the offense and they didn't get any of it from anybody, let alone JD. But I'm, I'm just... I'm very curious to see how they continue to play this because he's forcing their hand positively and negatively, positively with the bat, negatively with the glove. And so is, so is Luis Diorme. So, and, and frankly, so is Jonathan VR. Jeff McNeil's hitting the ball hard left and right, but he's not getting hits. Jonathan VR's playing well. It's an interesting problem for the Mets to have right now, and it's a tough one to juggle. Just got a bunch of guys that are doing things well, but nobody is giving you the complete package just yet. Hopefully, somebody emerges and does just that. JD wasn't the only one, though. Pete Alonzo homered in this one a long home run to center field off Patrick Corbin, who should not have still been in the game at that point. I don't know what Davey Martinez was thinking, sending him back out there. He batted in the top half of the inning. I believe it was the fifth inning. He batted in the top half of the fifth inning, and rather than pinch hit, he decided to give Corbin another inning to face Alonzo, Lindor, and J.D. Davis, and he was never going to pitch to J.D. Davis again, but it didn't even matter. Alonzo homered, Lindor singled, and Martinez had no choice but to take him out. I don't know why he didn't go to Austin Voth sooner, but hey, it paid off for the Mets. It paid off for Pete Alonzo, so who cares, right? But Alonzo homers, McCann added an RBI single. Taiwan Walker pitched well, allowing only three hits through seven innings. 
He was not that sharp. He did. He was not good early in the game, but the Mets made some plays behind him that they did not make for Marcus Stroman yesterday on, yesterday on Saturday. And he settled in, and he got better as the game went on, and he pitched well later. Miguel Castro worked in and out of trouble to pitch a scoreless eighth inning, and Diaz shut the door in the ninth. Again, defense was there today. Big plays from Lindor and VR. An unbelievable play from Albert Almora Jr. in center to save two runs, maybe more, bringing an end to the inning. Very reminiscent for me of the Curtis Granderson catch in the wildcard game, if you remember that one. Brandon Belt off Noah Syndergaard. It looked like he had given the Giants the lead, but Granderson made a wonderful catch in center field to end the inning, and that was a very reminiscent of the catch that Almora made on Sunday. And that's it. And the Mets win two out of three from the Nationals. And again, you just, you got to win series. It was great when they swept the Phillies. But look, that gets washed away. They go to Chicago and they play fairly well in two of the three games and they get swept anyway. But if you just win more series than you lose, you're going to be in a good position. And that's what they did over the weekend against Washington. They got Boston coming in for two this week. David Peterson goes in the first game. DeGrom goes in the second game. Just really, really good series overall. Despite the clunker on Saturday, they bounce back. They end up hurling two shutouts against Washington without Juan Soto, without Trey Turner really doing much in this series. When you get Washington and you don't have to face Scherzer and you don't have to face Soto and you keep Trey Turner in check, you got to win two out of three. And the Mets did that. And that's. That's all you can ask for them right now. And like I said, you got Peterson on Tuesday. You got the drama on Wednesday. Gary Cohen told you a hundred times, be sure to be ready for that game early. The Grom game on Wednesday starts at 6.30, not 7. And the Mets aren't going to need a fifth starter for about a week and a half, I think. Because of the off day Monday, then another off day on Thursday, bookending this two-game series with the Red Sox. I believe it's May 4th that the Mets will Nets need a fifth starter. And there's belief that Carlos Carrasco might be ready. If he's not, I am fully in favor of Joey Lucchese and Sean Reed Foley teaming up together and trying to give you a combined six innings. I think that was a, a good pairing on th- in Thursday night's game. Lucchese ended up giving up three runs in his third inning of work, but Sean Reed Foley was excellent in his Mets debut. I thought that was awesome. Um, but just quickly... Talking about that Cubs series, you know, you got three hours and two games from J.D. Davis. You got David Peterson not being able to work through the mess that the defense had made for him. You had you had Lindor hitting his first home run, and everything felt great. And then it all went downhill from there. These things happen. And I know people were freaking out, and that's what we do as Mets fans. We freak out over everything, and we wait for things to go wrong. But as I've said... Every time I open up this podcast, this is a positive podcast. It's April. It hurts when you're watching it. And believe me, I get as high and as low as anybody watching these games. It's part of the fun of it. But there's 162 of them. You're going to have your highs and you're going to have your lows. And you're going to walk into Chicago and get swept. It's not going to be the last time this season that the Mets get swept. It's not going to be the last time this season that the Mets get swept by a team that they might even be better than. It's what happens. And it's possible that all those things are true and the Mets will get swept by a not-so-good team at some point this season and they will still make the playoffs. It's 
baseball. These things happen. So I, I would just urge everybody to relax. As Aaron Rodgers would say, relax. There's a lot of baseball left to be played. And, you know, even with all that, the Mets are the only team in the National League East above 500. You know, there's a lot of weirdness going on with the fact that they haven't played as many games as everybody else. They've played four less games than the Phillies, Atlanta, and Miami. They've actually played two less games than Washington as well. Somehow Washington jumped ahead of them (laughs) in games played. But they have the lead. They have at least three games ahead in the lost column above everybody. And I mean, it's stupid to sit here and watch the standings this early in the season. But for as bad as you feel, the Mets are above 500 and they're the only team in the division that can say that. So just keep stuff like that in mind. It's a long season. There's a long way to go. We have the best pitcher in baseball. We have a guy who's going to hit another 40 home runs. We have one of, if not the best shortstop in baseball. This team's going to be okay. Carlos Drastro's coming back. Noah Syndergaard's coming back. Seth Lugo is coming back. There's a lot to be excited about for this team. So just, you know, you can't wash that series away. The The Mets need to not just say, ah, whatever, to that. It's early. Francisco Lindor said it. It's good to have moments like this early in the season. He said it after the game, leave on Wednesday, because it allows the team to learn and grow from it together which is better that it happens now than it happens down the stretch. And he's right. And we've seen the Met teams that came out hot and played well and then had those moments down the stretch, like in 2007, like in 2008. Better that it happens now. But hopefully they take the time to learn from it, grow from it. J.D. Davis is going out taking extra ground balls. Dom Smith's taking fly balls and left. Mike Conforto's making sure he gets his work in and, and tightens it up because he's made a couple of errors that, you know, I, I don't really expect from him. I, I think Michael's a good right fielder. Lindor getting his swings in. Michael Conforto getting his swings in and trying to get on the right track. Michael Conforto's right there, man. After this series with Washington, he was playing well. He was hitting balls hard. He's right there. He's ready to break out. He got his first home run. He's ready to get hot. Lindor, too. Lindor's right there. He got a 3-1 pitch in this game got under it, and you could tell he was frustrated because he knows he's right there. And he had a good at-bat. And he got a good pitch to hit, and he just missed it. But I like to see that he's, I like to see that he's frustrated because he knows he's so close. He knows he's right there. And he's just not popping. But I'll tell you, when he does, if he can do it soon, with Nimmo getting on base like he is, with Pete Alonso doing what he's doing, J.D. Davis is red hot. Michael Conforto, like I said, is right there. I I hope that we can get these guys going all at the same time because they pitch like they've been pitching overall, and if they can hit like they're capable of, they're going to out-hit and out-pitch that defense, and they're going to they're gonna give themselves the cushion to work through that stuff on defense, and I really hope that we can see that because this offense has the capability to be very, very special. Real quick, I talked about the move to put Alonzo second and the move to put Lindor third. Alonzo has played more games batting second than he has any other spot in the lineup in his career. Lindor batting third is second. He's let off more. But these are their numbers. Pete batting second, 276 batting average, 369 on base percentage, 978 OPS, 27 homers, 54 RBIs. 
in 76 games, batting second. Those are really good numbers. I mean, think about it. That's in the neighborhood of 54 homers and 108 RBIs extracted out over a full season. More if he has somebody getting on base in front of him, like Brandon Nimmo is capable of doing. Francisco Lindor batting third, 300 batting average, 358 on base percentage. Those are the best of any spot in the lineup in his career. And A12 OPS is second uh, to leading off in his career. But 24 homers, 103 RBIs, 132 runs in 206 games batting third. I would anticipate Dominic Smith and Jeff McNeil being back in the lineup on Tuesday against Boston. But I would seriously consider having them hit behind Conforto. I would keep that top five exactly the same on Tuesday. I would go Nemo 1, Alonzo 2, Lindor 3, JD 4, Conforto 5. I would keep it exactly the same. You, on Tuesday, you're facing a right-handed pitcher in Garrett Richards, so you need to get McNeil and Dom back in that lineup. But I would just be so wary of changing anything. when It's a little bit old-school baseball, and we know that stuff like that doesn't really play anymore. But when you go out and you score four runs and you have a good offensive effort, keep things the same. Don't change them. Just ride that out. Let these guys get comfortable. I'm aware that Dominic Smith is a better hitter than J.D. Davis. I'm aware that he's probably he's playing better over the past year plus than Conforto. And Jeff McNeil is a guy who can get on base in front of those guys rather than behind them. But just for Tuesday, I wouldn't change a damn thing. And if they go out and they score you another four or five runs, you keep it the same for the drama on Wednesday. Don't change anything. Just keep it the same. Just let this ride out and see if there's some sort of chemistry that forms by keeping that lineup the same. Dom, unfortunately, for as good as he's been, has not hit very well with runners in scoring position. So just keep it simple. Let these other guys hit. And you're going to protect Lindor and you're going to get him going. And listen, if it doesn't work, if they get shut out on Tuesday, then you change it. Then you go back to how you kind of had things previously before the day off for Dom and Peniel on Sunday. But I would highly recommend keeping things the same and seeing if you can ride a little bit of a wave of momentum. All right, that's it for this episode of Fun Times in Flushing. Please go to funandflushing.com slash Patreon. I have a Patreon page, and I'm trying to put some extra content up there, extra blog posts, extra podcasts, stuff that I think you guys will really, really enjoy. There's going to be some fun stuff up there. Right now, it's mostly post-game sort of things. It's post-game blog posts. It's post-game podcasts. Instant reactions, not so much a series recap like this episode. but I also plan on adding some other stuff as we go on, maybe like an exclusive interview, something like that. Stuff that, again, I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So please go check that out, funandflushing.com slash Patreon. If you want to join the conversation, 845-206-9098. That is my voicemail line. You can leave me a voicemail, hear it on the show. Pretty cool. Funtimesinflushing at gmail.com is the email. If you don't want to leave a voicemail, you can leave an email. Any of this information, anything at all, podcast, player links, you can find to all the different apps at funandflushing.com slash 28. When you go to those podcast apps, please subscribe, rate, 
and review the show. Follow me on Twitter. I'm live tweeting during every game at msmithfif for fun in flushing. Or follow me on Instagram at fun in flushing. I post a lineup there every day before the game. I like to throw some good stats in in the comments. So go check that out. I think I find some pretty good stats to prepare you for the game, whether it's how certain players perform against the starting pitcher or for example, I had those stats on Pete and Lindor in the two and three holes for their careers. I think just stuff like that's interesting because we, we've gotten used to Pete batting fourth and Lindor batting second, but they switched it up today and you find out that those are spots those guys are pretty comfortable in and they perform well in. And they're good players and they're going to hit anywhere, but sometimes guys have a habit of playing better in certain spots and that was true of Alonzo and Lindor. And look for Alonzo paid off. He homered today. So I try to just throw a little stuff like that out there at you and prepare you for the game. So at Fun and Flushing on Instagram, I will be back on Wednesday with the recap of the two games set against the Red Sox at City Field. I look forward to talking to you then and let's go Mets.